how can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. We're all experiencing how audio is lagging behind written content, video, and images in searchability and discoverability. That's why Audio Burst, the Israeli startup Ari Applebaum has joined as VP Marketing, is developing advanced audio search and delivery services for audio content creators and companies. Throughout his career in marketing and communications, Ari has often experienced the importance of clarity in helping his company and clients achieve their goals. From the simple daily reality of miscommunications with colleagues on the team Slack channel, when you're referring to one issue and they're assuming you're responding to something else, to the need to succinctly communicate the bottom line of the uniqueness of your technology to an investor as briefly as 10 times faster or 10 times cheaper, Ari knows that it won't help to successfully drive the audience to your site if they're expecting a value proposition which is different from the one you're actually offering because they misinterpreted your key message. Join us for episode 21 of Let's Clarify It, in which Ari shares why voice is such a powerful medium, how you can use an analogy as a shortcut without turning it into part of your brand, and what he learned about his own communication from the time his educator father-in-law sat in on a lecture he gave. Curious? Let's clarify it. Hi, Ari, how are you? Hi, Daphna. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. And I'm actually glad that even though we chose to do this digitally, we could actually be meeting here in Israel when things have opened up post-corona, thank God, yeah? Yeah, we should. Let's grab a coffee at some point. I would love to. So maybe for the benefit of the audience who don't yet know you and aren't yet your friends, maybe tell us what it is that you do. Sure. So uh, I'm a marketer. I've been uh, helping Israeli startups tell their story and build uh, their brands and scale globally for about 15 years now. Um, most recently, I joined the Audio Burst, which is uh, the AI-based audio search and delivery platform and um, VP marketing there. Very cool. Why do people need the ability to search and who needs the ability to search audio content? I don't know if you've been following, but talk audio has been uh, exploding now recently with social audio, podcasts over the last few years, audio books, et cetera, et cetera. And although it's become a very important uh, medium, I think it's lagging behind video, images, text for sure, in our ability to discover interesting content. It's still mostly word of mouth. What we're lacking is the ability to personalize, to recommend, to, to discover and search for interesting, relevant content. And that's what we're trying to do at Audioburst. So we built like a, a, an AI engine that analyzes the world's talk audio content and organizes it, makes it uh, discoverable, searchable, and relevant for people to, easy for people to consume wherever they are. So you basically have data scientists who are teaching an algorithm how to decipher the meaning of all kinds of things that are being said over hours and hours of audio? 
Yeah, correct. We, we use uh, machine learning. Uh, we create enormous amounts of data, but relevant data uh, that is attached to the uh, audio. So part of it is transcription that's been done for years, uh, but transcription has getting, been getting better and then parsing the language. Um, and part of it is actually treating audio differently because there's information in audio that once you transcribe it, you lose it. So we know how to identify things such as silence, right? Pauses, music, uh, a male's voice versus a female's voice and, and so on and so on. And we call them audio cues. We have dozens of them, which we recognize. It's, uh, it's actually a proprietary technology. And once you're able to do that, uh, you're able to understand when a topic starts and ends. And we believe that the sort of the, our secret sauce is in short form. So we know how to take really long um, pieces of content such as this discussion and then segment it by topic and say, okay, Ari and Daphne were talking about podcasts uh, for the first three minutes. Then they moved on to talk about uh, that. And then once you cut it, uh, content like that, you're able to do much more with it. How perfect for a world in collective ADHD. <laughs> exactly, it's, it's for the generation of TikTok and Twitter and Instagram, but we need some kind of a solution like that for audio. And that's what we're trying to build. And apparently for their parents too. <laughs> yes. That too. So who's the main target audience? Who needs the product that Audioburst is developing? Well, so obviously audio uh, content producers like podcasters, we have solutions for podcasters, radio stations, any media company that ha has audio. So we have solutions for them. But what's really interesting is a product we launched a few months ago, which is taking our content library and making it accessible within mobile apps and websites. So we go to um, mobile app publishers, any mobile app, and you know there's millions of apps now and everybody's fighting for users and for engagement time. And our message to this audience is it's, it's uh, simple. We say, you know about the podcast revolution, you know that that's where the users are at, why not capitalize on it, right? So we can turn your app into a place where people are consuming what they care about. Users are there already, let us sort of stream it into your app and you'll capitalize on that. You'll have this incredible engagement uh, that comes along with talk audio. And obviously the benefits of that are also monetization, revenue streams, things like that. As a podcaster, I'm seeing that monetization is a really big challenge unless you're this big, well-known company and you're backed by corporate sponsors. I'm seeing very few people who are actually able to monetize. How, how do you see monetization figuring into this? What's the business model for Audioburst itself? The reason we have thousands of podcasters who, who work with us is besides basically when we give us, we give them this, this powerful engine that we spoke about, the ability to segment content into short clips, transcribe, identify, search through their content. So they're able to do a lot more with it. As you know, podcasters, there's so much effort put into creating the content. And oftentimes there's not a lot of time to then deal with promoting it. So we give them a lot of tools that enable sharing on social media, creating uh, audio clips, video clips. All, all uh, We have a web player so you can put things, highlight reels on your website. All that is really compelling. In terms of monetization, the idea is once you give us your content, we have a platform where we stream content through lots and lots of devices, websites, mobile apps, cars. So your content can reach millions of additional people. And then with this distribution comes, of course, ad revenue, which we share with the creators. So it's just another way to, you know, as we scale to make more money. And is there a way for creators to know, for example, that the ads would be aligned with their values, with their content, something that they would be comfortable with? You know, I think that's an interesting question. 
right now it's not there's there's not a lot of control the creators don't have a lot of control over that but i do see down the line the ability to for us to sell contextual advertising so for for brands to be able to place their ads next to specific pieces of content besides targeting users and platforms but actually the content they want to be associated with and of course uh, once we start doing that down the line we'll be able to also get the content creators consent or interest in and sort of make these introductions so to speak but i think that's down the line we're not there yet nice was this latest position of yours a natural progression of things that you've done in your career until now how did you get into this specific field yeah so i have to say i'm new professionally i'm new to the audio space as a consumer i for as long as i remember i've been an avid listener not just the music but to podcasts from the very beginning and talk radio as obnoxious as it can sometimes be so I have a love hate relationship with talk radio but audiobooks for the last few years I've been very bullish on the space and then I just happened to meet the CEO of the company when he was looking to hire and I really understand and value the vision and the mission of the company I still have a lot to learn about the industry for sure Nice. But you also certainly have, I'm sure, plenty of insight on the topic of clarity of communication. Here we are on Let's Clarify It. Can you think of a time along the course of your career in which you felt like you were misunderstood despite your best efforts to be clear in conveying a message? Yeah. So, you know, just last week, I think I was communicating with one of my team members on Slack and I wrote something and I don't even remember now what the conversation was about, but I wrote something and he clearly misunderstood it and responded in a way which I didn't understand. And we went back and forth for a while. And then I think it was minutes, it might've been hours later, might even have been the, the next day. All of a sudden I realized that he was responding. He thought that my message was a response to one of the things he wrote me, but really I was responding to something else. And, and what I realized at that point is we're having multiple conversations via the same medium. And this happens all the time. Everybody I know in a professional setting is having all these conversations at once. Some are synchronous, some are asynchronous, which you know adds another level of confusion. And of course, that's not the only platform. We're on Slack, we're on email, we're on WhatsApp, we're on so many other channels. And it just, it creates this cacophony of so many conversations where what you're missing is, is context and clarity of message, which is the, the one thing you need to, to be understood. So I think that's the, the biggest challenge that we have to overcome is realize that what's clear to you at that moment is often getting lost in all these conversations we're having. And how do you make sure that you provide the context that might be missing? And might that be the moment to go back to picking up the good old telephone and actually adding the context through a proper conversation synchronously in real time? If it's not video and there's not body language, then at least tone of voice and, and what goes with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Slack and email. And there's such a, a, an issue of um, l- lacking tone and people m- misreading and misinterpreting what you're trying to say. That also happened with the same team member recently. So I think I agree. I think we have to go back to more conversations, more, you know, there's the young younger generation. They're really big on sending these voice messages. At least you have tone there, but but really what you're missing is the ability to respond and interject and interrupt if you have to, to ask for a clarification. So I totally agree. I have to say, sometimes that's not an it's not an option, right? So if you're talking to journalists, they don't want to be you they want to be called. Um, so you have this one shot with your email, and you have to make sure that you're super super clear. 
So what's the antidote if you don't have the possibility of picking up the phone or you're talking to somebody who's in a different time zone and it's the middle of the night for them right now and you still need to send it over? What can you do? Is there a test that you can use in order to make sure that your email is going to pass the clarity test for a specific target audience that you have in mind? I mean, it's a good question. One is, of course, showing it to someone else because you might be reading it one way and not even realizing the potential second or third reading for it. The other thing is reading it out loud because sometimes I, I find that the voice in my head is different than the voice I hear when I read my message out loud. So sometimes I do that. A third, and, and this is less about understanding, but more about catching mistakes is right before you hit send. So you think you're ready and you've proofed it, then you do another read through. But I, I don't know if there's a fail, fail safe way to, to get this right. That sounded like three good tips to me. So at the other end of the misunderstandings, how about clarity? Can you think of a time when you felt like your clarity was what served you well in achieving a goal that you had set out? Yeah, so I think when I was at Anyclip, this is two companies ago. It's a company that does, like Audioverse, does AI, but for video, analyzes video and then helps uh, big media companies search and manage their video assets and make them accessible. So when I was at Anyclip, I remember there was this moment in time where I spent lots of time with our CTO, our chief technology officer, and I had him go through the technology over and over again. And he was spending hours walking me through the uh, steps and the technology on a big whiteboard in his very techy way. And I think there was like a, an aha moment. There was one moment in time where he was explaining this, this proprietary technology he was building, which involved figuring out which frames of a video are new and provide new information. And the reason you need that is because once you understand that, you can basically ignore all the other frames. And he mentioned that that means that he can, if he, he chooses one out of 10 frames, then he could do things 10 times faster. And that also means you don't have to analyze those 10 frames. You analyze one frame, which means it's 10 times cheaper too. And that was sort of an aha moment where I was able to distill lots and lots and lots of complex things into a simple message. 10x, into 10x. Yeah, exactly. 10 times faster, 10 times cheaper, closest to real time than, than any other solution. And we're able to do a whole lot of that. But sometimes in order to get to that clarity, you need to listen to a lot of context and noise, so to speak, and then know when to hone in on that one thing that will make a difference. For sure. Nice. Do you have some role models? Are there some people that come to mind when you think of, ooh, there's a person who communicates with great clarity and that I try to learn from some of the time? So <laughs> I wouldn't call him a role model, but it's, it, you know, it's timely because Benjamin Netanyahu was, was just voted out of office. After Israeli many, many minister, years in. After many, many years in. And putting politics aside, I think everybody, even universally, or most people accept that he's a great communicator. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And a lot of people focus on his oratory skills. He's a great, great speaker. And you can't take that away from him. He does all the tricks in the, in the book in terms of, you know, pauses and emphasis and uh, storytelling and everything. But I think the two things that sometimes are not focused on, which I think make him such a good communicator, one is he's, he, his use, use of uh, visuals and two is specifically slogans and sound like visually he will very often use props, right? He once gave a famously a speech in the UN with a picture of a bomb, a bomb. on a uh, poster board on a with a red board. line. Exactly, the red line. And sometimes when he speaks about the economy, he'll pull out these graphs, even in his office when he's meeting them, you know, important different leaders, but he'll pull out these graphs. 
the Iran thing after there was an operation, he pulled out these actual physical files. Now, putting aside the question of whether that's appropriate, and there's a lot of critique that it actually makes him sort of seem salesman-y and some say pathetic. When you talk about the message, it's so clear and it sticks. And we talk about that red line, even though it was 10 years ago, he knows how to figure out a visual representation of the message that he wants to get across. And he Big does time. that so well. So that's one thing. And the second thing is his slogans. I think he actually spends hours, unless he's he's so brilliant that he does it in minutes, but it seems like he and his team spend hours when there's a big agenda item in distilling it to words that will resonate, you know, a soundbite or a slogan. And uh, an audio example, burst, if you will. An audio burst, a burst, right? One example, and this is, it wasn't political, it was in his defense. For your listeners who don't know, he's being accused of several, in several corruption cases. But years ago, he already, at the very beginning of this, he said, you know what I'm about to say? How he defended himself? Do you know the slogan? He said, lo yeklum ki lo ayaklum. Right? There won't be anything. There won't be anything because there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything. And I think that's sheer brilliance because his supporters have used that endlessly. And as detractors, they try to poke holes in it and they explain why it's not true. But meanwhile, I think as, a, as an Israeli citizen over the last few years, I must have heard that phrase hundreds and hundreds of times. So at the very least, it, even if you're really convinced that he's guilty, it, it leaves you with some doubt. So I think he's very, very clever about thinking long and hard about these catchy phrases that will resonate. For sure. Can you think of a time when you had to explain something that was particularly complex? I work a lot with scientists and I find that one of the challenges is how can we simplify something that someone of a very specific discipline with deep expertise in that field is trying to convey to somebody else, very intelligent, but from a totally different discipline. Can you think of something really complicated you've had to explain to someone? Sure. So I spent a few years working in the nonprofit world. I was in Boston working for an Israel advocacy group. And that was a challenge because there I had to explain to students, college students, about the Arab-Israeli conflict, you know, a hundred long or some will say thousands years long conflict, explain history, explain Israeli politics, which is very, very complicated. And I think in all those things, the trick is it's not so much in what you say, but it's in what you don't say or what you choose to leave out. Because I think my first lesson was in 2001 or two, I flew to Wisconsin to be a counselor at a summer camp, Ramah, Wisconsin. They tried this pilot program where cabin counselors were also able to teach once or twice a week, teach their cabin content. And I chose to teach about Israel advocacy. This was the height of the second intifada. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. And I was terrible. I was this, I was right out of the army. I was really, really passionate, but I had no idea how to focus. And what I ended up doing, there was a couple of books out there that were showing myths and facts and lots and lots and lots of data. And I ended up taking these books and going to the um, the office and photocopying hundreds of pages and just sort of stuffing these binders and giving them to the, the campers and say, this is what you need to know. You need to read this and understand. And of course, as you mature, you understand the power of, of words. You realize that it's not about the amount of information. It's actually how do you focus on a few key themes and stories? And again, pictures, right? So I chose a few pictures and showed them and explained what you see and what you don't see and what you can learn from it. And so I think that was a teaching moment for me. <laughs> how old were these kids? They were, I think, 16. It would be interesting to revisit and see what they remembered from all of that. 
but I'm sure that you've learned your lesson about how to simplify yeah. more than well. No, that's, that's a big challenge. Another way that I often find myself helping researchers to help make accessible information from one field to another is by using metaphors or analogies. What is it like? Do you find that you use analogies or metaphors when you're communicating? Yeah, absolutely. I think when, when I tell people that Audioburst is trying to do for audio what Google did for the web, so, so they get it, right? We're trying to organize, we're trying to make it searchable. Um, I, I'm against, there was a, there, there were a few years, probably five or 10 years ago, there was a, a few years where lots of startups were using that front and center in terms of their positioning and messaging. So it was the, the actual unique value proposition or even the tagline was worthy Uber for or the Airbnb for. And I think that's not good. I think you want to be you. It's fine in explaining it. I wouldn't put it as an integral part of your brand. But of course, there's there's a lot of power. You you um, It's a shortcut. It's a way to circumvent all the process that otherwise they would have to go through to understand what you do. Because like you said, they have that for something else. So I'm a big fan of metaphors and analogies. Nice. That's an important distinction, though, that they shouldn't be going around saying, we're the Google of, because they want to yeah, be remembered. I, for some people their... still do it, but I, 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 don't, I don't feel that that's the right approach. Interesting. So when you kind of look back on these years that you've been in this specific field of marketing, what would you say is the importance of clarity in the work that you do? Clarity is everything. If marketing is about getting your message across to the right person and right people and making sure it resonates, if you're not clear, you'll never do that successfully. So without clarity, there's nothing. And some people will think that clarity is only important when you're doing the foundational branding work, defining your identity. But of course, clarity gets left behind oftentimes in the day-to-day. So if you talk about performance marketing, so much effort by most performance marketers is put into the optimization of the tactics, the segmentation and the cost. But really, you can be getting lots of lots of leads and you know lowering your cost of cost per lead. But if you're not investing in making sure that your message is crystal clear and crisp and super focused, then you're going to get the wrong kinds of leads. So who cares that you're paying a dollar instead of two if it's the wrong people or if they're they're coming to your website and they're signing up, but they're expecting a whole other value proposition than you actually give. So of course, I think there's no question about clarity being the foundational piece of today's marketers stack, not just tech stack, but toolbox, let's say. Super. When you think, Ari, of all the different types of communication, either that you've engaged with over the years or professionally or personally, what's your favorite kind? If you have the choice, how do you like to conduct communication? It's a good question. I mean, I love video. We're creating now a video because you can do so much with it. It's so fun. Of course, the problem is it's usually long and expensive. And of course, there's a lot of tools now that enable you to do visual storytelling and that's cheaper. But video is fun. Audio is great. And I'm, you know, now I'm biased, but um, I find that there's something really powerful about voice. It's if you think about it, it's the first medium that you really that you really learn as a human. It's in utero, you you hear your mother, or father. So I think as a communication mode, there's something extremely powerful, and we're just starting to really unleash that in today's world. You know, it, it sparks the imagination, etc. And and then I go back to to text because I'm a writer. I think uh, first and foremost, and what I appreciate about writing is you're able to endlessly iterate and reiterate, and you have full control over the outcome. Not full control because, as we spoke about earlier, there's context, and people might be reading you differently than than you expect. And there was a there's a famous poem I can't remember in Hebrew. I can't remember if it was might have been Chernochovsky. 
I can't remember who wrote it, but there's a famous poem about the, the poet and he's obviously writing about, it's, it's about himself, where once you write a poem and release it to the world, it's as if a piece of you is now gone and anyone could do with it as they wish. And, and he talks about this sort of love-hate because he loves creating the content and he wants people to be exposed to it, but he also wants to still be able to control it. And once you once it leaves your possession, you lose that control. But I think that's some of the beauty in, in writing. And I think I, it to summarize, audio is powerful. Video and visual communication is, is incredible. But I think for me personally, I'm first and foremost a, a writer. Nice. Nice. Okay. Sounds like you're combining all of them in the work that you do. That's fantastic. Ari, maybe just leave us with your favorite communication tip. Maybe something that someone has told you over the years that you've found that resonated true for you and that you pass on to other people. What could be a helpful tip that our listeners who might be researchers or entrepreneurs and they're seeking to improve how effective they are in addressing their target audiences? What should they take into consideration? I remember I was once lecturing to, to a group and my father-in-law who's an educator and has been educating for, for many years. Uh, he was, he came, he had some time and he came and sat at the back of, of my classroom and he heard me speak. And somewhere in the middle, one of the participants asked a question at the end of my lecture, my father-in-law came up to me and he said, do you remember when that kid asked a question? I said, yeah. And he said, what were you doing while he was asking the question? I was like, well, actually, I was using that time to think about how I was going to answer him and also what I was going to do next and speak about. And he said, well, it shows. If you're self-absorbed, if you're thinking only about your messages, about what you want to say, if you're not listening, you will lose your audience in a second. You'll lose their trust. You'll lose their attention. And I think I take that message really, really, obviously, it's true for public speaking. You have to be constantly in tune with your audience and read their cues, not just when they ask a question, but they're constantly giving you feedback. But I think in general, in life as a communicator, I think the most important thing you can do to, to anybody you can communicate with is, is listen. If you're just talking and you're addressing them without understanding where they're at, you will fail. It's the famous Dale Carnegie rule. He, he's, he tells a story in the opening of his famous book. He tells a story about a cocktail party he was at and he was speaking to a, a botanist and, and the guy was going on and on for hours. And he said, all I did was ask questions. And I did so because I'm fascinated by plants and I really wanted to know and learn about his world. But he said what was most interesting was at the end of this very long conversation where I had not had a, a word in edgewise, the uh, botanist said, wow, you're the most fascinating conversationalist. <laughs> because, because if you're listening, if you're listening to your audience, they will, they will bond, they will engage, they will walk away with a positive experience. And of course, you will also have an opportunity to communicate and sort of change minds and hearts if you need to. But first step of every communication process is it sounds basic, but just listen. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for this conversation, Ari. And good luck with Audio Burst. Thank you and so much. have a beautiful summer, you and your family. Thank you. I you hope too. to see you this in person soon. Yep. And I hope that if we upload this podcast episode onto Audio Burst, that it chooses the juiciest parts to share with people. <laughs> We're happy to do that. Just uh, upload the RSS. <laughs> Thank you very much, Bye. Ari. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact.